had a good run. I mean, people, if you ran. We, tried, we, we came by bike, then we really struggled to cross the road because everyone is running. So uh, we managed to find, uh, otherwise I was planning to do a Zoom preach from the other side of the road, but thankfully we managed to end up here. You know? So thank God for the technology. Yeah. Okay. I don't know I, I, whether I shared this embarrassing story uh, to you or not. If, uh, if it's a repetition, please forgive me. I thought this, Esther, last night I was thinking, I remember that uh, story happened in my life, not embarrass you. So uh, I need to manage that embarrassment. So have you many, have you, how many of you heard about uh, a scooter, like with a gear? I don't know. It's a, uh, yeah. So you, first gear, second gear. So I don't know whether you are familiar with that kind of things. So that's the uh, a scooter I first learned, the two-wheeler I learned in terms of in a, with something with a motor. So my dad was teaching me how to ride a scooter, you know. So that is something, a big thing for me, learning how to do. That's a, a famous brand called Bajaj Chedak, okay? You don't memorize it, just hear it. That's absolutely fine. Um, so uh, the scene is in the morning, we're having a little bit of lesson. So he, I was on the front seat, he was on the back seat, he's like a, just racing the accelerator. And uh, so you need to turn the first gear, then you release the clutch. That's the way things move forward, if you know how to ride that one. So uh, what's happening? My sister and uh, my mom is uh, on the other side as they want to see how things are going to move forward. So in between, my mom shouted to her, remember to buy some fish um, when you come back or something, you know. So I heard, yeah, then my dad responded, okay, okay, yeah. So I thought my dad was asking me to put the first gear and move forward. Okay, okay, okay. When I heard the okay, okay, I'm, I, my, my, I was thinking my dad was just on the behind me in the, uh, in, in the scooter and I was just moving forward, okay? So as I'm moving forward, I can see that people on the left and right shouting, shouting. I was thinking like, everyone is excited. At last, blessing is riding the bike or the scooter, you know. So, um, and I was moving forward. There is a, I think Dan might know, there is a river nearby us and there is a small bridge. So that means if there is a lorry or truck coming, you're supposed to stop on the other side because a, a scooter and a lorry won't go together. Oh, otherwise you end up in, in, you know, so one of us needs to go to the water. That's the way you survive. And as this truck is coming, you know, so usually my dad say, slow down, brake, slow down, slow down. I'm not hearing any instruction. I was thinking, what a confidence my, ha my dad had in me, you know. So even within the second lesson, you know, so... And I was this coming and coming and coming, and the lorry is honking. Somehow he stopped there thinking, this, I don't know what he was thinking, idiot probably, you know. So what on earth he's going to do? And I crossed the bridge, thankfully managed to victoriously overcome this mighty challenge, and I braked and turned to dad. How was my dri driving? My dad was not there. He is still waiting there because he was communicating to my mom. Okay, okay, I'll buy some fish. I heard, go ahead, go ahead, son. So, and people were shouting, stop, stop. But your dad is asking you to stop. What I heard, come on, listen, move forward, move forward. 
So since then, my dad said, you know how to ride, go alone, you can ride. So that was my freedom day, one of the biggest haunting day also. You know? So I was thinking like, my dad is going to be really upset with me. He, he was so relieved because he can more spend time with something else you know, rather than spending time to teach me. You know? So that's the story. What to do with the book of Acts chapter four? I don't know. Okay, let's turn to the book of Acts, chapter 4. <laughs> 32 to 37. All believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all, so that there were no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, bought them, bought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put in at the apostles' feet. So that's chapter, uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 37. So we have been going through the book of Acts. The uh, book of Acts is one of my favorite books and uh, because this is packed with uh, God's amazing presence, even after the resurrection of Jesus, the, the church and the people were filled with the Holy Spirit. Without the physical presence of Jesus, church in action. Before that, Jesus was with them to multiply the bread. Before that, Jesus was with them to bring an amazing catch. Before that, Jesus was there to open the blind eyes. Before that, Jesus was there to raise the dead, you know. So whenever there was a challenge, Jesus was there to interfere, to intervene, even times when disciples completely failed because of their un unbelief, Jesus stepped in and rescued them. Now, in the book of Acts, he is resurrected. He's gone with the Father and uh, church in action through the work of the Holy Spirit. That was the time of multiplication and growth. So we will be looking at some of the key elements of this passage and it's going to be comfortable or uncomfortable for you, but this is the word of God and let's listen with an open heart. Let this be our, our prayer, Lord Jesus, let your word speak to us. Let you, let you speak to us, God, so that we can know your heart. That is the most amazing, secure, safe place we can ever be. So let it be our prayer. Children. This is not the boring stuff. This is the exciting stuff. This is not because Blessing is preaching. 
is because of the word of God. And I put some uh, uh, like uh, PowerPoints there to help you to understand the, some of the context, you know. So at the same time, you can draw, uh, draw some of the pictures or you can write key words or you can uh, illustrate, you can tell your mommy or daddy or who is came with, you know, what God has speaking to you. And always you can engage, you know, because this is amazing work of God is so relevant to all of us in all time. Verse 32, all believers in one heart and in one mind. Some versions say one soul, one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. So this is my question. When you hear being filled with the Holy Spirit, what comes to your mind instantly after that? When you read the book of Acts in chapter 2, sometimes we can connect being filled with the Holy Spirit can with the miracles, wonders, supernatural, speaking in tongues, and lots of dramatic things. And we can undermine the work of the Holy Spirit in many other areas. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not just talking about speaking in tongues or supernatural or extraordinary things in a way we see. But here we can see that one. There was persecution there. There was absolutely, they were faced with the immense challenge from the authorities at that time. So we heard Dan was preaching about they were together. They prayed together. Sovereign Lord, this is absolutely tough times. But we lift our eyes to you. What happened after that? The Spirit of God came and filled them. And uh, strengthen them, you know. So that's in uh, Acts chapter, uh, uh, in, 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 in verse 32, you know. So after they prayed, the place where the meeting was shaken. Can you say that together? Shaken. So it was the power and the presence of God. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. So that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's one of the work of the Holy Spirit. Strengthening you. Enabling you. In the midst of persecution and suffering. And, in, and able to do something. No one can do. And what they're doing. Something countercultural, Something ridiculous. Something radical. Something no one is doing that there. So they are doing something. Something different. In, in that cultural context. What was that? All believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. That was outstanding in that cultural context. Something been brewing in my mind for a while. It's, uh, it's uh, called a fire triangle. So I'm trying to communicate that one. There should be a picture uh, there. It's a fire triangle. Oh, 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 sorry. I think you're. If you put it, bring it down, you know that would be great. And I was, I was going to ask you a question. What you know to have a fire, you need three things. I think Dan already mentioned that before. You know, so I remember that. You know, to have a fire, you need three things. Children, do you know what are the three things you need to have a fire? Hmm? You know, to have a fire. You know, to create a child. Okay, Sam, go on then. You need oxygen. Yeah. Oh, you need heat. What is the third thing? Fuel, yeah. So th when these three things coming together, 
what can you experience? Fire, you know, there is no fire. Uh, when you move heat, the fire is gone. When you move the fuel, the fire is gone. When there is no oxygen, there is no fire. So, this is the fire triangle. For a church, what is that fire triangle means? So for me, I was thinking, uh, I was, you know, just looking at that for the church, beyond fire, these are the three ingredients you need. One is the word of God. Second is the work of the Holy Spirit. And third bit is the fellowship, is the church. You cannot have a fire in you, among you, in a corporately, individually, without that the third bit. The moment something is missing, the fire is gone. So that is the uniqueness of the church. So the Spirit of God is working in you through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the work of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God is in you. Where is going to apply that one? It's among us, in us, and among us. So that's the place. The fellowship is so, 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 so important. That's the reason why there's nothing called online church. There is nothing called online fellowship. There is nothing called uh, online membership. If you really want to be part of the work of God, there is a ground level reality that is the church. So here is a visible illustration of the work of the Holy Spirit in everyday life. What is happening there? They were one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possession they are on, but they shared everything they had. What is the result? What is the result? It's not charity. It's not just like a, something good doing there. But what's the impact of that one? With great power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them. There were no needy person among them. So that is the work inside happening. Everyone was satisfied in God. Through that satisfaction in God, what is happening? People were, you know, just met with their needs. Not only that, for time to time, those who owned the land, they, 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 they sold them, brought them to the sales and put the apostles' feet. And it was, it was distributed, you know, so what they had. And another, another thing happened was God added people into this, this number because this was countercultural. It was very radical. Where is that coming from? Then we will look at a, a person called Barnabas. Who is, what is his significance? How God worked in his life. So let's look at uh, John chapter 13 verse 34. Jesus said, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciple. If you love one another. This is the command from God. When you love one another, what will happen? You have a mindset of unity. You will be together in heart. No one trying to hold on to things. 
because you hold on to him, that means you are no more holding on to possessions or money or material. You are released from that bondage. The more you love God, you have time, space, and ability and capacity to love people. That's a result of the work of grace. It's not like a, I'm going to do something good so that I feel good. No, when God raised you from the dead, when God sets you free from the bondage of sin and darkness, that means your hands tied with money and possession will be loosed and loosed and loosed. So when you have loosened in that area, where do you hold on to? You hold on to people through spending time. Through praying for one another, through offering hospitality, through spending, hearing what they are going through. Not only that, you know them what they're going through. You know them what kind of struggle they are going through. You know them what kind of challenges are going through. But when we have things, sorry, we don't have time to spend time with the people. When spend time in prayer because we are so holding on to things, we don't have time for him. But the power of God comes to this poor church, persecuted church, broken church, crushed church, but something radical is coming out from this hopeless group of people according to that time and time people saying like what a ridiculous bunch of people, they worship the living God, but they are seeing something outstanding coming out from them through their gracious, generous, generous generosity. That was different. That was Countercultural, that was radical, that was unreasonable. How did that happen? The grace of God freed them from the love of money. They are not after things. Now he's, they are after him. Because they are after him, they are after people. They, can, they have the time to see there's a person in need. There's a person suffering in sickness. There's a person in suffering in, in, in terms of persecution. They have time to spend because they are revealed and released from holding on to things. Some historical context. Let me uh, go to uh, AD 252, uh, something you might have heard about uh, the plague of Cyprian. You know, it's nothing to do with the Cyprian. He was living there. In AD 250 to 270, in the region, there was a plague, outbreak of plague there. What happened? People started living. So many people decided to flee that place. Rich people started living. Many emperors start leaving, influential people start leaving, they're trying to find a place of safety and security. What was the response of the church, you know? One of the church fathers, one of the famous Christians in that time called the Cyprian, he came and to talk to the church, church, we are living at the time of darkest time and we are persecuted from left and right and back and front. These are tough times, but we are not going to leave this city. We're going to stay. What are we going to do that one? Yes, we are going to do the best 
to give to these people in suffer one day, every day, nearly 5,000 people were dying at that time. It's beyond, you know, just like uh, at that time, there was no uh, like uh, AstraZeneca vaccination. There was no like a uh, Madonna vaccination. There's no kind of a COVID funding isolation. There is nothing was there at that time. People were persecuted because of their belief. But Cyprian said, Cyprian said, stay back, stay back. We're going to serve them. And what they did, they took everything from their pocket and gave the best to themselves, to, to one another, and to the people, to the enemies. And they, they stayed there. Many Christians died. Many people didn't even get the opportunity to live because of their choice. But history says after that, the church started growing and growing and growing because they experienced something unnatural, something radical and ridiculous and countercultural because church started demonstrating something so radical no one can demonstrate. And there was an emperor called Julian and he was a pagan religious uh, 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 promoter. He hated Christianity very, 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 very much. He persecuted them very much. But one thing he said in the history that is say that their success lies in charity to all to take care of the poor, not only their own, but ours as well. So we can't shut them down. It's not just like just for them, but they are pouring their heart, they're pouring their mind, pouring their position to the people suffering among us. Julian was so you know, just like uh, stuck by church generosity when he was trying to shut down the church through the power of his authority and his, through his uh, military power. What was happening? Church was started growing in the midst of persecution. He recognized that they have something we don't have that is radical generosity. We are living in, a, we are living in a time, there are lots of millions of charities out there. Have you ever thought about what's the difference between a charity and a church? There are lots of charities there. They do good works, amazing work. Even I work for a charity, do amazing work. What's the difference between a church and a charity? What is the difference? So charity can do lots of beneficial things, you know. So, but have you ever, ever heard there are one million people being benefited through a charity. The next day, they decided to join that charity because the charity is so amazing. That's very, very rare. This is still funded by a minority people. They got money or somehow, but they're trying to impact a majority of people. But because your charity, their charity was beneficial to you or someone else, it's, there is no much story of people joining that charity. Have you heard about that one? People may or may not do that one. If that's the case, you know, so there will be millions of billions of people will be joining in Red Cross. But there is not. There's still a minority there, but fuel from somehow businesses is there. But what is the difference between a church and a charity? Two things. 
the power of God and the presence of God. In a charity, people can be added through the charitable rules and regulation. You need to fill a form in a church. The church will be growing through God is bringing people to his kingdom. God is the one bringing people. Because there is a saving work is there. And there is the presence of God and the work of the Holy Spirit ongoing there. And when people move, they are not joining a charity. They are joining a family. That's God's kingdom. It's God's kingdom. It's a bit different. That's the place. They have one heart and one mind and we know one another. We have a tendency to save the world outside because of the flood happening, the poverty happening, the AIDS happening, the, the global warming happening outside. We can be so much outward focused and say we should send 10 pounds to there, 20 pounds to there when we have poor among us struggling to find a place to live, struggling to pay their bills. They're going through utter emotional chaos because of what they're going through in their sickness. And we think if I pay, if I spend a couple of hours in a charity, if I spend my time here and there, but my challenging question is, when you are a church, when you are added by God's kingdom, God is liberating you from the love of money, but to love for him, that will release you to love people, then you will know what will happening among you. There's no lack of money. Sometimes people think, if I have more money, I, will be f I can give more. So for example, if you have 1,000 pounds, you think it's easy to give me maybe 200. But when you have 2,000, you think it's easy to give 2,000. When you have 100,000, you have 20,000. Have you felt that struggle to give that 20,000? I, I'm not hearing any amen. That's an, uh, I know that. What do you feel? Eh? When you have a million, can you feel that one? The pressure will go higher and higher, higher. Because love of money is an addictive substance. Jesus said, you cannot serve two, matter, uh, 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 two masters. One is God. He didn't say that the other one is devil. Did he say that? What is the other one? Money. He didn't say that one. Leave Satan. Leave that one. And save me. No, he said, you cannot save two matters. There's only two matter, uh, masters in this, in this kingdom, in this universe. Either you are under the kingship of Lord Jesus. That will liberate you from the love of things and love for him. That will give you time, space, energy to love people and pray for one another. And you will know when there is needy among you. There is hardship fund at City Council Sheffield. There are local funds at the City Council Sheffield. I refer people every week to send them. I contact the British Heart Foundation. I contact the British, uh, you know, just uh, Red Cross to get hardship fund. I send, there are multiple charities. We accommodate people every week to put them from the street to a hotel to have a sleep, sleep uh, to get to find some sleep to until they find some accommodation. 
That is charity. But church is different. It's not like a membership because you like the idea here at the church. God is rescuing you from the love of money so that you can love him. So that God can release you to love people and share things in common. The solution is not selling things and uh, becoming a, a kind of a guru going to Himalayas. So you can have some, some special uh, feel-good factor. That is not church. If that's the case, how many people gave, gave their property to how many other good charities or National Trust Foundation kind of things? You know, because they believed in what they're doing. But if you believe in the work of God, work of the Holy Spirit, if you believe what Jesus has done on the cross, where do you invest? In the church. In people. Because that's the place. The, the director is not adding people into the charity at church. God added people every day. And you can see that growth. Not because of the charitable giving. Because they were one in heart. One in mind. This is something radical. They are loving God. Because that they're loving God, they start loving people, one another. This is different. Sometimes you think, if I have more money, I will be able to give more. If you have more money, so if you have a low salary, what do you tend to do? You to live in a bit more poor area. You go to a, a discount supermarket and you struggle to pay the bills somehow you will be able to pay and you have a little bit of money to to give you know so you you know so you've met all the means kind of things then then you decide to give something if you have so people think oh if i have okay when you have a little bit of money most probably you move your location where you're living if you have more money you move somewhere else you know so that means your friendship changes your hobbies will change the driving car will change and your, and your shopping supermarket will change. Things will change. That means the money will be, again, not enough. It's go higher and higher and higher. And you have more friends now. They earn more money. Then you think, oh my word, I don't have enough money. Because I'm poorer than that person. So I need more money. So the, the addictive nature of the money will be sucking your life away from you and the worry. That is why Jesus said, flee from the love of money. Flee from the love of money. Because only Jesus can set you free. This is why this radical generosity coming from a Persecuted church because not because they have lots or they have less, they were liberated by the power of God. Jesus was the sender, and they faced the biggest miracle in their life and experienced that Jesus is everything. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Here, Paul is pleading to the church why should they give. 
2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. If you get time, you know, just verse, read chapter, uh, whole, you know, whole chapter. He was talking about the Macedonian church in the midst of a very severe trial. They overflowing joy and the, and the extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. What? That is countercultural. When we have a financial crisis, the nation is going to recession, the fuel bills are going up, energy prices are going up, the world think we need to squeeze, we need to squeeze, we need to squeeze. But when you are liberated by the power of God, you don't think about the crisis, you see God is the provider. In any time, he is our provider. I might have a million pounds, that's his money. I might have a hundred pounds, that's his money. God's money in my hand. The more I hold on to him, I don't have time to hold on to things. The money becomes a tool to demonstrate God's graciousness in me because God is a generous God. The money becomes a tool. What happened here? I'm not commanding you. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing with the earnestness of others. I love that, you know, so how Paul can be quite, you know, quite, uh, uh, you know, just uh, uh, some, some of the scriptures can be a bit, his, the way his wordings are there. But I love this one, why he's phrasing this one. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. He was saying, not saying, come on guys, don't be selfish, come on guys, we should be giving church, come on guys, we should give more, you know, so we should be a bit more trendy and attractive. No, he was not saying that. No, the referring point is Christ. What he was done for you. He is a generous God. He was a rich God, but he became poor to rescue us. That is the place our generosity flows from. That's the place our freedom flows from. If our ideas and inspiration is through an actor or a charity or through a crisis or seeing something bad is happening when I'm eating my muesli, there are places people are not eating anything. I'm going to fast seven days. It won't last long. Because the fuel and the inspiration... And the life behind that decision is not a person, it's an emotion. But when you see what Jesus has done, your heart will turn to him. And you will be empowered by Jesus. Let me look at the story of the young rich ruler, then we will move forward. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 27, I'm not going through all of this one. Kids, you might have heard this one. There was an young ruler there. 
He was really rich. He was wearing his fancy t-shirt or shirt or tie. He was uh, walking through the street, the cool dude, the rich guy. Then he saw that Jesus and uh, he was thinking like, okay, this is an opportunity to show that I'm very, very interested in spiritual things. Okay, so what do I need to do? Ask the right question. What's the right question he asked? He, he, he asked the question, Jesus, what, 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 what do you call me good? You know, he asked, he called the teacher. I asked, so what should I do to inheritance, inherit eternal life? Okay. So he want to add eternal life into his uh, tick box. Okay. Why did you call me good? Jesus answered. This is in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 27. You can say, read that in Luke 18. You shall no murder. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He didn't say that, but oh my word. I'm a wretched, you know, broken man. Sorry, Jesus. Thank you for pointing out this one. I will go and fix these things. He didn't say that one. He said, teacher, all this I have kept since I was a boy. Here we go. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Can you say that together? Jesus looked at him and loved him. Can we say it one more time? Jesus looked at him and loved him. <laughs> that is Jesus. He's here this morning. Goodness me. What a selfish people now. All he wants to show through the grace of God, somehow, I want my people to understand the power of grace and the power of liberating power of grace. But Jesus said, kids, what did, they, what did Jesus say to them? Jesus said to them, one thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, that man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He was doing everything perfect, but Jesus was pointing out to something significant. One thing. That means you're trying to do all these things. Can you fulfill? Can you be holy by following the law? Yes. If you follow the law perfectly, you will be saved. But the problem is we can't. That's why Jesus came down. If Jesus came down as a perfect moral teacher, it's not a good news for me. Jesus will say, look at me. I spend time with the poor. Be like me. I'm a compassionate God. Be like me. I raised the dead. Be like me. I multiplied amazing things. Be like me. Be compassionate. Jesus said, I'm glad you didn't come to this earth. Because this is not a good news for me. Because I can't reach that standard. But Jesus said, that's not the reason I came down. I'm the real rich young ruler. I was 32. I own everything. But what I did, 
I came down, lived like you, and gave up everything, including my blood. Not as a charity, sacrificed. Sacrifice. My skin won't torn apart. Even my clothes was turn, turn, turned away. If, including, I felt the rejection from my own father. I'm the rich young ruler. I came down and died in your place so that, so that you can be redeemed. You can be empowered. You can know the love of God. You can have the power to hate money and love me so that you can love people. That's the transforming work of grace. The real rich young ruler was not that ruler that was Jesus. And he failed to see that rich young ruler. And he decided to hold on to his wealth. Jesus loved him. I wish you see the real rich young ruler in front of you. The Lord of heaven and earth. Become baby. And lived among you. And suffered and died. And rose again. Not to perform his glory. But to show his mercy and compassion to set you free from love of money to love of people. How does that happen? When you love God. When you love God. So what's a litmus test for Christianity? The real fire. You're hearing the word of God. You are led by the Holy Spirit. And if it is not bearing fruit, Next, someone sitting next to you, someone part of your church family, this is a question. What does that mean by being part of a church? I can rather go and join Rotary Club or some amazing charity. If you can't see the need of someone next to you, this is the time we can ask God, am I holding on to something? Am I holding on to something that is stopping me spending my time, energy, money, my prayer, my attention to people? God set me free from that bondage. That is the gospel of grace. And God is available for you. And here is a man called Barnabas. In Acts 4, 36, when he joined the, the, the church, he didn't say that one. By the way, guys, I'm excited to join the church. As long as you give me a nickname, son of encouragement. He didn't say that one. He didn't care about his position. He didn't care about his title. He didn't care about what he was doing in the church. But church witnessed the power of gospel in his life through his everyday life. What did he do? He might be a wealthy man. He looked at his house. I might need a house. But I may not need that one. That might be a blessing to someone else. I'm going to do and make a decision. Do I really need to make a decision? 
but I'm fulfilling God. That's my need. God is my provider, but I'm going to sell that one. He was not trying to get attention. He was not holding on to things. He was holding on to God. That's why he was able to make radical decisions. It can't differ for people to people. For the Samaritan woman, it was not money. It's an amazing thing about Jesus. You know, when he met with the, the Samaritan woman, he didn't, Jesus didn't say that one. You have a love of money. You should leave everything and follow me. He didn't say that one. What did he say? Woman, there is a problem. What is the problem? The problem is your husband. Okay, so, but the problem is you have another man now. He's not your husband. That means you are, your identity is constantly find in the person. That's the place you are clinging into security. I want to free you from that bondage. Then only you can come to the living water. Jesus is the surgical surgeon. He knows where to touch to set you free from the bondage of sin and death. For you, you might be a generous person, but some of the areas God wants to set you free. But today, let's come to him. He's not a guilty, guilt-driven preacher, you know. And it's not to make you uncomfortable. This is a cry to the Holy Spirit, to the living God. Set us free from the love of things. We can have love for him so that we can live in that freedom. That is the place of fire in this time. If you want to see church growth, if you want to see church growth, building won't bring people. Charity won't bring people. Good works won't bring people because that won't liberate people. Only Jesus can bring people. But when Jesus is liberating people, he's looking for a place. What is that? The church. He's bringing orphans into family. When he's bringing to city church, he's looking. I bought this person with the precious blood. This person will thrive, will be comforted will be looked after, will be taught, will be encouraged, and to have a unity together, what is happening together, they have an enjoyment and enjoying God together and enjoying one another. When people see that one, more people will come. That's what Jesus said. If you want to see church growth, by this everyone will know that you are my disciple. It's not the building or the charitable work. It's the fire in the church. One another. One another. One another. In an individualist society, it is hard. In a guilt-driven society, it is hard. But what is impossible for man is not impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. He can set us free. Here is a man called Barnabas. In Acts chapter 10, he's the one advocated for Paul. When nobody wants to connect with him, he stepped out, brought someone to ministry by taking the risk. You can see his character. And in, in Acts 11, when people were preaching in different places and uh, many Gentiles, not the Jews, getting saved, you know, who, who was he looking for? Hey, hello, Barnabas, you are very good with the old people and awkward people, people not like us. What did he say? He went. He went. He was not looking for the title. 
he was transformed by the power of God and he lived it. And he was trusted with the money to carry. When there was a need of money, Barnabas took the money to the people they are in need. You can see his track record. And when there was a first missionary journey with Paul, who stepped in? That is Barnabas, stepped in with Paul. But in Acts 15, there was a big confrontation with John Mark and Paul. He didn't join with the Paul and say, you are right, fire him. What he did, John might be weak. John might be, John might be walking messed up in some other time. But this time, I'm going to go with him so that the kingdom can be advanced. God's glory can be revealed. So that is Barnabas, a man transformed by the gospel of grace, and he lived that one. So this is my prayer. Any charity or giving, not freed by the grace and the work of the Spirit, will result only in self-fulfillment and feel-good and self-justification. But the grace-filled generous generosity is the sign of freedom in Christ and the demonstration of eternal and external and eternal act of worship to say, Jesus, you are my everything. I'll repeat that one. The graceful generosity is the sign of freedom in Christ and demonstration of external and internal act of worship to say, Jesus, you are my everything. Because he is the young rich ruler. He didn't set a standard and walked away. He died in my place so that I can be freed in that one. So in the book of Acts, we have seen that in the midst of persecution, all in heart, one in mind, no one claimed that their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. Great power, with great power, apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Lord Jesus and great grace, God's grace was powerfully at work within them. And there was no needy person among them for time to time, those who own land. Not all the time. They didn't sell anyone, everything and everything. But it was led by the Spirit, not by guilt or shame. If I pass bucket now, and if the collection for this church is the highest, my preaching is in vain. That's more the intention of my preach. This is the time, turning to God. What am I hold on to? Not releasing me to love people. Lord, set me free. Only you can set me free because you are the young rich ruler. Came down. And you rescued Barnabas. That's the way he demonstrated. Through all his action, he was pointing to God. How amazing, wonderful, gracious God used a broken man for his glory. Next week, we will hear how people messed up, you know, when they're trying to do things by their own strength. 
So this is my prayer city church. There is a revival coming. We are in the midst of crisis. We don't want to be a charity to meet people's needs. Our calling is to be family, one in heart, one in mind, together. Time for people because we have time for him because he liberated us. Let's meet him today. If you don't know him, he's here to save you. He wants to rescue you. If you are crippled by the fear of money or things or possessions, or it could be children, it could be your house, it could be your job, you know. The moment that is gone, everything is gone. Money is the bottom line. It is true. This will expose you where your heart is. When Jesus is your savior and king, you will use everything for God's glory. Let's pray.